What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to talk UFC Vegas 81 goes down tomorrow there inside the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. It has been a crazy week in the world of mixed yep. martial arts. I was, you know, as of course, as always, I'm joined by the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I was saying this on my show yesterday, Pete. There, there's so many things that have happened in MMA. We all basically forgotten the fact of Bobby Green starched Grant Dawson in 33 seconds. Yeah, this sport's so strange and like shit that happens sometimes shouldn't happen. And that's why like you have to just always expect the unexpected in this thing um, from, you know, last minute replacements to short notice fighters to crazy outcomes. I mean, we've literally seen it all injuries. That's why this sport is so damn exciting. But uh, very frustrating at the same time because, I mean, I think out of 10 times, I think Grant Dawson does implement the correct game plan and get it done. But, hey, that's fighting. Yeah, man. it's uh, It happens. I mean, you, you just – I mean, that's that's why we, I think we say pretty much a majority of our shows here. That's why MMA DFS is such a, a tough DFS sport because, I mean, literally anything can happen. Uh, of course, we're going to break down these fights uh, coming up here for the next hour here, breaking down these fights. Of course, as always, appreciate you tuning in, whether you happen to be watching us live or if you're uh, watching or listening to us after the fact, whether you're watching us here on YouTube or if you're listening to us over on the podcasting platform. Of course, we do have our DraftKings contest that is live. If you're in our Discord, the link is already in there. It's also in the link of this show. So get in that our our contest on DraftKings. Of course, congratulations to P Warner Five taking down the contest last week, where he had a fighter with zero points, and it was not Ian Kutalaba. It was not Philippe Leans. It was Grant Dawson. Still took down the contest. So congratulations uh, to P Warner Five as he had Dober Algio, your guy Nate Manus. Uh, Vanessa Demopoulos and Richie Lang. Uh, the other the other top scores last week, by the way, Bobby Green, of course, getting that quick finish bonus, 127 points. Also, Carolina Kovacavich, how about going out there, get over 100 points. Uh, then Joe Pfeiffer almost getting 100 points, getting at 97 points over there. So uh, as uh, we're here to break this one down for you, of course, I mentioned you got your score channel, totally free to join. Great community to talk about what's going on in combat sports. And, uh, of course, it's uh, I was actually watching a little bit of that UFC uh, press conference yesterday about USADA. Oh, that is uh, woof. It's getting in- it's getting interesting. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, what the heck? Um, you know, I, behind closed doors, we don't really know like what happens, like as far as uh, discussions and everything. But my goodness, uh, that this is going to get ugly. Well, breaking news into the pod: we no. have lost a fight, and it is not Christian Rodriguez. Charez and Lacerda has been canceled. Brent Fitzgerald announcing it. That's a medical issue for Lacerda, non-weight cutting issue. Okay. Okay. Jason, I've been working my ass off, and I know you've been doing the same. And this guy, Lacerda Da Silva, has received so <laughs> many damn opportunities over, like, time and time again. I don't know if he's the smartest fighter out there. Because he's just, like, navigating, doing enough to, like, stay within the company. I mean, basically, you know, pulling an act last time of, you know, possibly trying to relax in a choke. um, Recognizing the referee, you know, picking his arm up. Going limp. Recognize, you know what I mean? Like, he's still, and then he acts like he's okay. This guy has backed out. I mean, he's winless in, what, four or five fights? 
and he's still uh, getting yeah. an opportunity. I went, yeah, five, he's had five UFC fights. I mean, look, you could say the same thing for Ashley Yoder. I think she's three and seven in the UFC. Yeah, but women's MMA is different, right? Like, I mean, they, they lack depth sometimes, and uh, I just don't understand who the hell – how is this guy getting opportunities? If he sticks around after this, I'd be very, very surprised. Um, and it's very frustrating for Shirez and all these other fighters that are kind of clawing their way up to get a UFC opportunity when I mean, you got a guy who's somehow – I mean, I got no hate against the guy, but it's just like – it's crazy to me, and uh, that was a fight that was going to be pretty damn popular for the slate. So, I mean, I'm kind of happy it's off, and it makes me refocus some of my ownership and allocations and everything. But, uh, man, oh, man, this guy's like – how much money has he made from, from no shows or just missing weight or – like, it's crazy. I don't know. Don't get me going. I will tell you, that was actually the Charez and Lacerda fight was one of four fights that I had highlighted in terms of an ownership play this week. And, and I yeah. was looking, obviously, I was looking at Edgar Charez because I, I really liked him to go out there and get a finish. So, I mean, we can kind of talk a little bit about game theory here. I mean, obviously, when, I, when I'm thinking about my game theory and, and you know, and I'm looking over my sheet and, and some of the things I've already highlighted on this one is, you know, obviously looking at the fights that have low ownership, uh, you know, whether it's low ownership on, on one fighter or overall ownership on the fight. I mean, you know, like, they're, they're, you know, like, look, you know, I look at a fight like Emily Dakota and Ashley Yoder. I mean, I, I think Dakota's ownership should probably be higher. I get why people maybe don't want to get there because of the price point women's MMA, but, you know, I feel like that's a great opportunity for her. Um, you know, I, I understand why people may not want to get to Chris Gutierrez just because of the low volume, but you got to remember, he was preparing to take on Montel Jackson. Now you take it on, a, a, you know, Heli here. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a step down in competition, so that one kind of sticks out to me a little bit. Um, the co-main event ownership, I think, is, is also something that I'm looking at. But I when I I just did my first dummy hand build lineup when I was putting together the fight HQ contest, I was like, this is a really easy week to construct lineups. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. And uh, a lot of weeks, it's difficult to construct lineups. I mean. If I'm looking at the salaries, right, like something that sticks out to me is clearly the uh, the high finishing upside of Terrence McKinney, but also the volatility that surrounds every every single fight. Um, and then we got some like questionable fighters within that range. You got Tynara Lisboa, massive price tag. Emily Dakota, um, you know, you have Chris Gutierrez. So like, there's nothing really. It's clearly McKinney in a tier of his own as far as upside is considered for the nine K options. Uh, but as far as ownership, I really do like some of these uh, some of these allocations that I'm seeing. And like with the Shirez and Lacerda, the Silva fight getting canceled, I'm trying to figure out how people are going to pivot. And I think people will pivot to a little bit of uh, Chris Gutierrez rather than target um, women's M MMA. Uh, just kind of like what I'm thinking. Uh, or or use that extra salary to help spend up for the upside of Terrence McKinney, despite the volatility. But yeah, I'm with you, man. I think like Dakota for me, I I love the fight for her, and I think that her ownership should be higher. I was actually kind of like concerned, not concerned, but like surprised that Shirez's ownership prior to the cancellation wasn't higher. I, I mean, I was looking at, it, I was like, I thought that you know, given how we saw the first fight going. Uh, De Silva was going to be patient, um, a lot, you know, a lot more patient than we were accustomed to. That he'd probably come in with 35, 40% ownership. And that was not the case. So, uh, very, very mm -hmm. easy slate to to build lineups. 
And uh, I'm really torn on a lot of these fights. So, you know me, I'm, I'm always transparent. I'm going to need your help, Jason, as always. Um, but yeah, let's get through some of these fights. And uh, I want to see where you lie on, on some of the matchups. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of my thoughts on game theory is like I, I look at, you know, what what do we get out of Adrian Yanez in, in terms of, you know, bouncing back off that Rob Font loss, taking on Jonathan Martinez. I mean, Martinez is a guy that's just not a high-volume guy, so he always kind of concerns me in, in terms of a, of a DFS play. But there are some, you know, that, that 7, you know, 7.4K and below fighters. Like, you know, I mean, look, yes, his nickname is the damage, and he takes a lot of damage, but... I look at Darren Elkins as one of those pump plays this week just because of if he gets TJ Brown to the third round, we have typically seen TJ Brown slow down. So, like, he's someone that I'm looking at as a play. I mean, McKinney and Murat, look, we know we're getting Terrence McKinney. I mean, if he could go out there and very easily win in, in 60 seconds, but if the thing gets to the second round, all of a sudden you're like, uh oh. Can this guy win a fight after after the second round? Um, yeah. You know, I, I look at someone like a, a Lisboa as another interesting nine thousand option this week. Um, I, I do like her to go out there and get a finish. And you know, and Christian Rodriguez, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit on that. You know, misses weight by four pounds. The fight is going forward at least at this point. Um, you know, he's being fined twenty five percent of his purse, but yeah, that's probably going to be uh, ultimately a situation where a Nevada State Athletic Commission doctor is going to decide whether they're going to allow him to continue on and fight and uh but yeah i do think there are some options there's a couple plays over on price picks that i really do like i've got three plays over price picks that are uh, going to be my top card for tomorrow we'll talk about that as we do go on but p let's get right into breaking down these fight the main event we got sadiq youssef taking on the veteran edson barboza barboza is a plus 140 betting underdog minus 165 for Sadiq. Sadiq is 8700 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. Edson Barboza, 7500 on DK and $17 on FanDuel. And, you know, Pete, one of the things as I was starting to kind of look into this fight, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me about Sadiq Youssef is it's, you know, this is that big step up in competition for him to really, you know, he had the loss against Arnold Allen, but when you look at his strength of schedule and his wins, Alex Aceris may be his best victory. Yeah, I mean, for his UFC victories, it is. Um, you know, he he had a hell of a fight against Arnold Allen, um, but like he he needs a name attached to his resume. He is six and one. It's about time. I mean, Gabriel Benitez at one point looked like a fantastic win. Um, you know, Andre Feely's a good win too, but Alex Caceres has been a very tough out and kind of had a resurgence within the featherweight division. You know, he's six and one in the UFC fighting a true veteran at Edson Barboza, who's 17 and 11. We all remember Sadiq Youssef um, by breaking into the scene on the contender series and uh, going up against Mike Davis. So, like, I, I really, really loved the showing in that fight. I mean, you saw how he was, how he was in an absolute war. And Mike Davis is a stud, an absolute stud. I mean, he outlanded Mike Davis 111 to 77 had a knockdown, and you knew that he had to bite down on that mouthpiece and go out there. And that's the type of fight he's probably going to have to endure here uh, because I, I don't think that he can stay on the outside. Clearly, he's not the better kickboxer. He will be the better boxer in this situation against Edson Barboza. I hate that. I hate going against people, any fighters from American Top Team. They just The team is just absolutely incredible, and they're so well-prepared. Barboza looks to be in phenomenal shape. Father time is undefeated, um, and most of Barboza's fights, he's losing uh, or he's having to endure some, you know, some damage, and, and then can he, you know, overcome it or 
does he, you know, does he get finished? And, you know, like I was picking Billy Q to, to go out there and beat him. And I, I really thought the pace, the pressure, um, and, and just the, the aggressiveness alone was going to make Barboza break. And, you know, Billy Q ended up getting fly and knee countered. So, uh, you know, I, I still kind of feel the same way about Edson Barboza. Tough out, very tough out. But time and time again, we see him, if you put, you know, significant pressure on Edson Barboza, put him on the back foot, crowd the kicker, it makes him very uncomfortable. He's not a he's not a counter striker. He's much better when he goes. So I think in space he's comfortable. In space he's able to you know let his kicks go. And we've seen you know Sadiq Youssef at times not absorb strikes well. I mean he he gets rocked on the feet countless times. Arnold Allen threw a head kick that was partially blocked, and you saw Sadiq Youssef on skates. Let me tell you, Barboza kicks you. He, he's probably going to knock you out. So I, I'm torn on this fight, and I think it's okay to be torn because like. It's very easy to get to both of them. Um, in a single entry, I think I'd have to side with Sidiq Youssef just because of the youth versus the, uh, you know, the youth versus the experience. I'm still going to slightly side with Sidiq Youssef. Um, I don't like the fact that he's coming off of a major, major, you know, back surgery um, and, and or procedure rather. So I, I don't like his inactivity in a way, um, suffering injuries throughout camp and leading up until fights, and you know. Edson Barboza is in a, in a really, really tough training room too. So you know that they're going to have him prepared. I think the grappling edge is on Sadiq Youssef's side as far as, you know, finishing potential. Uh, I think that the wrestling exchanges will be interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's a slight lean towards Sadiq Youssef. But I'll tell you what, when I'm making lineups and it's last man in and I have enough, you know, I don't have enough to get to Sadiq Youssef and uh, I want to target this fight, I'm fine with getting to Edson Barboza because I think – there is a path to victory. He just has to implement it correctly. He can't get pressured. He can't have his back put against the cage. Um, he needs to take the center of the octagon and be the aggressor and go out there and let his kicks fly, chop away at the legs, and just you know not box. Because sometimes he gets into just you know a, a boxing match, and uh, that's just there. You know his opponents, you know imposing their will. And if he gets into a boxing match with Sadiq Youssef, I think he's going to get knocked out. It's one of these fights where I don't know if I'm going to necessarily make the main event a priority for me this week, but like when I look at it from a cash aspect, I don't mind getting to Edson Barbos as a way for salary relief just because of you know the possibility of this thing going 25 minutes and being a 15 minute fight. But you know, I think for me, it's also one of these things of you know it, it, this is that litmus test for Sadiq Youssef yeah. of are you that top 10 fire that a lot of people believe you are? You, you bring up great. Uh, point about you know coming back from injury in this one so uh it's an interesting one i mean i i do sigh with sadiq youssef as going out there and getting the win but i think when you're talking about you know cash games head-to-head those type of contests edson barboza guy i don't mind getting to but i i just i think in that you know that upper eight range i, I think there might be some other fighters that i might want to yeah. get to a little bit more than sadiq youssef just because of that finishing upside um and, and then looking over prize picks uh nothing really sticks out to me over prize picks i mean if i was probably going to do anything i would probably be looking at the more than 16 fight time minutes on sadiq youssef um you know his, his significant strike is 72 and a half i mean if you think this thing's going to go 25 minutes at 72 half he's probably going to eclipse that number uh fantasy yeah. score of 103 and a half I, 
it's one of those things of on Prize Picks, I've really become very selective in, in what I'm doing over at Prize Picks of you know finding those two to three props that I really like and, and maybe kind of you know like I might sprinkle in a five or six player card just to kind of get crazy MMA. It's so goddamn tough to hit a six yeah. six legs. <laughs> it's just really tough. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I was trying to when I'm at work, right? Like I got I have some dead time, so I'm just trying to like think about you know game theory and everything i'm like okay say this goes 25 minutes what's the likelihood that they pay off and i think it's really hard for a 25 minute fight not to be optimal it it just is right like unless it's unless it's completely back and forth and then it comes down to just the final round or something like that i think it's really tough for uh, a 25 minute fight if it goes the distance to not be optimal just it all comes down to salary too right like yeah um you know, it, I think it's kind of at that like no brainer salary, um, but it's you know it's kind of like teetering on that line. It's you know if Sadiq Youssef say drops the first couple rounds or whatnot, and he gets a third round finish, we talk about it all the time. Like I can see that happening where Barboza's tough to deal with early, and then Barboza's slowed. I don't know who to really favor in a twenty five minute fight. I guess I'd still have to say Barboza. You, you know just because of the experience, but like, it, I don't know, it, it's very tough. And then I try to wrap my head around what's the likelihood either one of these fighters get a hundred points. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the hundred point ceiling is less likely than normal. And when you take previous cards into consideration, main event underdog has been killing it. <laughs> they, they've been absolutely killing it and it's it's yeah. been ruining everything so i mean it, you can definitely make a, a case for edson barboza training at the best gym in the world fighting a guy coming off a a back procedure who's been slightly inactive so if you want to just look for the facts barboza's fine given his price tag and you say it every week on the show target yep. underdogs in the main event and co-main event and you definitely mm-hmm. want to look out for it there of course so we appreciate everyone tuning in here be sure to smash that thumbs up button and if, if this is your first time checking us out on youtube if you can subscribe to the channel we, we really much appreciate that we're, t- we're typically here on thursdays or fridays it's kind of based on, on myself and pete's schedule of how it does work out uh, of course uh, you can also subscribe to the show on the podcasting platforms apple podcast spotify rate review we appreciate everyone tuning in and uh, you know, if you uh, want to take advantage of uh, the tools that Stochastic has for MMA, we do have an offer in the show notes as well. I know uh, there's been some people taking advantage of that. We greatly appreciate that because yep. that does help support the show here. So we do appreciate that. So let's move over to our co-main event. It's a female matchup. we got Jennifer Maya taking on Viviana Arujo. Arujo, a plus 130 betting underdog, minus 155 for Jennifer Maya. Maya is eighty five hundred DK, seventeen dollars on Fanduel. Rujo seventy seven hundred DK and twelve dollars on Fanduel. And this is one of those fights that um, it's to me it would be an ownership play more than anything else. If I if I'm getting to it, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like I think it's a close fight. Um, I think it's a fight that most likely goes the distance. Um, you know, you have Jennifer Maya, a fighter that's been around for a while, six and five in the UFC. Viviana Araujo is five and four. Uh, in the UFC, but like if you look at their careers, you definitely can say that Jennifer Myers ha- she has the experience edge. I mean, she's fought for the title. Um, you know, she has some big wins. Marina Moroz, a fighter from American Top Team, uh, she has a victory over her. Casey O'Neill, a an up and coming prospect and uh, a fighter that looked to be very very dangerous when she mixes in her wrestling, she has a victory over her. Um, you know, she's fought Manon, Firo, Caitlin Chukagian, 
Whereas like Viviana Araujo, her best performance is probably in the loss to Alexa Grasso. And that's two fights ago when she did go the distance. That was a hell of a fight. Um, she scored 71 fantasy points in a loss uh, through a ton, 264 significant strikes. But that's largely due to the 25-minute nature. Landed only 126 of them. I mean, we see fighters land 100-plus in, in 15 minutes. So, I mean, it's not that impressive. It's just it kind of goes back to what I was saying of how hard it is for a 25-minute fighter if it goes the full distance to not be optimal. Um, you know, And then she went 2 of 10 in the takedown department. I think for the most part, she banks on winning striking exchanges and then being the slightly better grappler than a lot of her opposition. In this fight, in this fight against Jennifer Maya, I don't think she's going to be able to implement that same game plan. You saw her go up against Amanda Hibas in her previous uh, performance where she only threw 115 significant strikes in a 15-minute affair, landed 46 of them. Um, you know, and it's like even if she does get takedown, she doesn't have the best top control. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like she's kind of like stalling out inside the division or possibly within her career. Maybe this is the fight that she needs to kind of kick, re-kickstart her, her career um, because Jennifer Maya will leave you opportunities to do so. But like you got Maya on a two-fight win streak. You got Otto Ujo on a two-fight losing streak. Um, I'm going to go with Jennifer Maya here at 8,500 to, to win a decision. I think she's going to win 29-28. Um, give Viviana Araujo the first round, and then Maya's probably going to come on second and third round. It's a fight for me that I agree with you. It would have to be a uh, an ownership play. Just what's the ceiling? Like, what's the ceiling? What, mm-hmm. 80, 80 points? You know, may, maybe. I mean, she Maya did score 91 um, in her previous fight when she was priced at 7,700 against Casey O'Neill. But, like, I don't know, man. I just feel like there's so many better options and I'm always kind of looking at fights saying, can they get me 100 points? If not, then I'm okay with, you know, matching the field or being slightly underweight. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if it's a low-scoring slate, 91's fine. So I, I'm picking Jennifer Maya. Uh, knee-jerk reaction, I was going to be going with Viviana Araujo, but uh, going to go with the momentum of Maya here at 8,500 to get it done. Over on the price pick side of this, to one, it's not one of my top plays, but I do think one of the the nicer plays on this slate is a significant strike prop on Jennifer Mai. It's eighty and a half. So when you look at her past couple of fights, she had landed one hundred and forty five against Casey O'Neill. She landed one hundred and nine against Marina Moroz. Um, you know, now then she uh, in her fight against Manuel Fierroche, she only landed thirty seven. Uh, but she has hit this number more most recently. So to me, I think that's if you're maybe. Be looking to, to maybe add that third piece, fourth piece, maybe a fifth piece into a prize picks play. I think Jennifer Maya going more than 80 and a half significant strikes would be a number that I would look at. Next up, we got a matchup. Uh, and I, I think, Pete, this is probably one of my more interesting matchups outside the main event on this fight card, and that being Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez. Yanez is a minus one is minus 105. Jonathan Martinez minus 115. Martinez is 8,000 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. Yanez, 8,200 on DK and $15 on FanDuel. And, you know, really, I mean, I mean, look, we, we saw the, the rise of Adrian had, but, I mean, obviously it was not against the best competition. Then, of course, he had a huge step up in competition. Doesn't go his way. So, to me, it's about how does he bounce back. And, you know, for Jonathan Martinez, I, just, I, I, I like Jonathan. I mean, he is <laughs> – one of the things about Jonathan is he is more terrified – to do interviews than he is to actually fight. 
such a soft-spoken kid. Dude, yeah, he yeah, it's he he's just one of those guys. He and he t- he says it. He goes he goes. I would much rather go fight the baddest man in the world in a cage than have to sit and do a, an interview with somebody. It's just something he doesn't do. But but my one concern about him in, in this matchup, even though I think price point, you got this is to me is a fight we got to target. Is just can Jonathan Martinez be active enough? Yeah, I mean his his output's not bad. I mean his output's like if you go and you look at average UFC fighters, I mean it's it's pretty high output. It's just that Yanez's numbers are, are significantly higher um, because he's been in you know wars, even if they haven't lasted that long. So it's been like like he got pieced up against Randy Costa and then came back and, and threw a crazy barrage. And you know you, you you think about his performance over Tony Kelly and. You know the split decision over Davy Grant, and you know that that's a mutual opponent is Davy Grant, where Yanez has a split decision, and Davy Grant knocked out Jonathan Martinez. I have to tell you, Jason, I have not been the biggest Jonathan Martinez backer. So, like, um, being completely transparent, he's been a guy that I don't know why I just don't pick. But styles make fights, and I have to give him his flowers as to what he's doing right, and it's distance management. I mean, he has excellent range control. He is not just a guy going out there and brawling and he's just coming up lucky with outcomes um, and finishes or in victories. He's going out there and methodically, you know, outworking his, his opponents, sniping them from the outside, staying within kicking range. And then when he's, his kicks are landing, he's stepping in and landing boxing combinations. But it's the kicks that give everybody problems. Um, so it's like front kicks up the middle, knees up the middle, round kicks. He's an excellent kicker, and he chews up those legs as evidenced in the Cub-Swanson victory where Cub looked horrible, and Martinez scored 126, and now you see Cub-Swanson. He's not looking bad. So MMA math is weird. Yeah, You can't use it, and you can't really have significant bias in certain matchups because I didn't think Saeed Nurmagomedov was going to have much of a problem with Jonathan Martinez, especially if he wrestled early and often. And Martinez was able to go out there and get a victory. So you have Martinez here on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak over uh, Zviad Lazishvili, Alejandro Perez, Vince Morales, Cub Swanson, and previously talked about Sayyid Nurmagomedov. And you have Yanez kind of stumbling by facing his first true step up in competition against Rob Font. We picked Rob Font in that fight. Um, that was a kind of too much too soon. And Rob went out there and, uh, you know, starched Adrian Yanez. If Yanez can get into boxing range, he's going to win this fight. He's going to win this fight because I, I see Jonathan Martinez struggling in certain exchanges. He's going to he's going to struggle with the speed of Adrian. Um, the combinations where he digs to the body comes up top. Um, I I remember when Davy Grant was out there and they're just swinging hooks and he checks he chin checks Jonathan Martinez and then you think back of like it's a long time ago so I don't want to hate on Martinez but like. Going up against Andre Sukotat, who I know really well, pretty solid striker, um, can implement the same game plan that Adrian Yanez is capable of. It's just Yanez has to get inside the kicker. So this is kind of like a, a question for you because um, you might know more than me, but like if there's people within their camps to emulate each other pretty well, like does Adrian Yanez have uh, a crazy kicker to go out there and, and help him prepare about closing the gap. You know that Martinez is training with very talented strikers as well, uh, you know, between Chris Gutierrez and everything. But like if Yanez is able to deal with this in the training room, 
I actually think this is a winnable fight for him, and I think the the uh, the masses are going to want to get to Martinez, and I kind of want to go the other way if that's the case. And I'm seeing some low lower ownership on Adrian Yanez. If Yanez stays on the outside, we saw what Randy Costa did to him. We saw what Rob Font's able to do. Um, but I, I do think that from just watching footage, he passes the eye test for me a lot more than Jonathan Martinez. Yeah, I mean, I'm really leaning toward Yanez. And, and just like you, when I saw that ownership, I was kind of like, I, I thought it'd been reverse. I would I would have thought that Yanez would have the bigger ownership. Um, you know, but to me, it's a price point thing. Now, one of my favorite plays on prize picks is involved in this fight is the more than 11 and a half fight time minutes on this one. For some reason, I think this thing is going to hit late the third round. I really do. If it if it doesn't go all f- full 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't hate it. I, I think it's a decision fight um, or possibly a late finish fight. I, and the reason I think so is because they're going to have to download each other's game plan and have to process you know, the talented, uh, you know, opponent across from them. I, I don't think they're going to be able to go out there, walk across the octagon and just get rid of them. I think it's going to have to be, all right, let's make some adjustments inside the cage between rounds. Uh, what's working? What's not? You're getting hit with a lot of front kicks. You need to close the gap. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I can definitely see Yanez struggling early and then making some adjustments and pulling away late. Next up, we got a matchup between Andre Petrosky and Michelle Pahea. Pahea is a minus 205 betting fair, plus 170 for Andre Petrosky. Petrosky is 7600 on DK, $13 on FanDuel. Michelle is 8600 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. And, and Pete, this is really the first fight that I look at. And we start talking about, uh, you know, potential, you know, various groups we might put in Fantasy Cruncher. Yeah. And when we talk about Takedown City, if I'm Andre Petrosky, that's got to be the game plan here. Yeah, it has to be the game plan, or it should be. I mean, like, this is a middleweight, ex- not necessarily an experiment, but kind of just like he had no other choice. Michelle's struggled to, to make welterweight on numerous occasions. He's a massive, massive guy. I do think that he's a he's better suited for, for middleweight. Um, you know, we think of when he made his debut, uh, he looked fantastic against Danny Roberts. And then in a short-notice opportunity we we saw a guy and I, I believe we actually were correct on this years ago of uh, picking Tristan Connolly to beat him mm-hmm. and Tristan Connolly able to kind of just nullify what uh Michelle Pahea is the best at so there's a game plan where you can make Michelle Pahea human and that's closing the gap making him tire out making him wrestle early and often because we we've seen him exhaust himself at times on the flip side, you have a true middleweight in Andre Petrosky, who's been undefeated in the UFC, picked up a nice KO finish over Michael Gilmore in the third round in his debut, Hu Yao Zhang in the third round, uh, crazy submission finish over Nick Maximov and a decisive victory over Wellington Terman, and previously uh, just going up against Gerald Mearshart. So like, I do think that this is a very interesting fight for Michelle to be kind of debuting um, you know, within the middle, middleweight division. My knee-jerk reaction is Michelle's too well-rounded to deal to to struggle with Andre Petrosky, and then the more I started to think about it, I'm like, okay, well, if Petrosky just goes out there and says, "I am going to wrestle and wrestle often," I like him here, but he kind of has a tendency to think he's a better striker than he is, and he wings power shots recklessly with his chin up there. Uh, we we saw what you know Gerald Mearshart was able to do in certain situations. I mean, he did rock and drop Mearshart in that bout, but like a much more crisper striker and Michelle Pahea, 
who's going to be looking for the finish, who's going to be throwing various attacks. I I personally like Michelle Pejea here at 8,600. Um, but as far as an underdog pool, I, I'm going to include Andre Petrovsky in that group because he's got slate breaking ability and we've seen the path of how to beat Michelle. This is a middleweight experiment and I think it's one where we can take advantage of it one way or another. I think you're going to need this fight. Um, does Michelle pass the test at middleweight? If you think he does, I think he's kind of, you know, lost in the shuffle here at 8,600. Um, and then if you think he's going to struggle, Petrovsky should have more ownership than he does currently. You know, when I look at Michelle Pae, I mean, obviously making 170 is a, is a tough thing for him. He may be a guy that that's really stuck in between two weight classes. You know, if there was a 175-pound weight class, it'd probably be ideal for him. So, you know, we'll see what he looks like at 185. But when you look at Petrovsky, what you love about the takedown city aspect of it, I'll give you the numbers. Four in his UFC debut against Gilmore. Then his next fight goes out there and gets four, which, by the way, had six submission attempts in his second UFC fight. Did not have any against Maximov, and then he had eight against Thurman, and then two against Gerald Merchard. Of course, obviously, you talk about you know drastically different styles when you talk about yeah. the, the catch aware style that Michelle Pajea does have here. But like to me, if if you're creating a takedown city group, whether you're talking about in a fancy cruncher or, or any type of optimizer, you, you, he's got to be one that you put in there. Of course, uh, if you're just joining the show. We did lose a fight. It was going to be the next fight we were going to talk about. Edgar Chárez and Daniel Lacerda. Of course, Lacerda has a medical issue. It's not uh, related to his weight cut, so that fight is off. So next up, we do have a, a fighter who did miss weight, and he missed weight by four pounds, and that is Christian Rodriguez, who is a minus one sixty betting favorite, taking on Cameron Simon. Simon plus one thirty five. He's seventy hundred on DK, fourteen dollars on Fanduel. Rodriguez eighty four hundred on DK. And sixteen dollars on FanDuel, and uh, you know I know there was there was a comment a, a little bit earlier, you know, asking if you're shocked by Cameron being the underdog here. I know my guy, my guy Pete was a little shocked here because when we were talking a little bit before the show, this is the one underdog you really talked about. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing that makes me interested in Cameron Simon is just activity and, and volume, and you know when I look at. When I look at um, Christian Rodriguez, it's kind of like his patience is kind of like, I don't know, it, it's a double-edged sword because he's patient, right? Picks his spots. It's good to be a sniper, but sometimes when you're going up against a gunner who's just going to sling leather, you're going to be behind on the judge's scorecard. And, uh, you know, if you don't land those crazy damaging strikes, are you doing enough to win minutes? I think the clear minute winner here is Cameron Simon. I mean, he nearly doubles the strikes landed per minute based on the stats. Uh, every fight's different. Um, he will have uh, Christian Rodriguez will have a four-inch reach advantage, um, but I also think like Cameron Simon just can mix things up so well that that's what makes him very dangerous. If he goes out there and he's like, "All right, well, let's just see what happens. If my striking's land, I'm going to stick to my striking. If not, I'm going to just incorporate some grappling." And one way or another. That versatility, it works really well for him. And for a young guy, I'm very, very impressed. I mean, he was born in 2000. So Christian Rodriguez is three years the, the elder. But this is a uh, another prospect going up against Christian Rodriguez. So does Christian Rodriguez just – is he the prospect killer? Um, because, like, you saw what he did against Raul Rosas Jr. And in a 15-minute decision, landed 29 significant strikes, had a takedown – um, basically was able to just get in better position, had seven minutes of control time. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be able to just wet Blake and Cameron Simon, 
but I will kind of go back on that. So I just said that, but I will say that there was a time when Steven Kozlo, as a, a losing fighter in my lineups, was able to go out there and pick up five of nine takedowns over Cameron Simon and have four minutes of control time. So with five takedowns, he only had four minutes of control time, and that's because Cameron Simon's working back to his feet. He got six reversals in that fight. So I love guys that get reversals. I like guys that get knockdowns, people that go for takedowns. You can't apply those for future fights, but it's nice because some some fighters in the UFC don't get any reversals, and they just don't know how to get up or don't attempt anything. I'm going to side with Cameron Simon in the red flag surrounding Christian Rodriguez of, of missing weight by four pounds. Four pounds, pretty pretty big miss. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong. Either you're nursing an injury, um, either you pulled the, the the weight cut early because it was way too tough of a cut. Um, who knows? So I, I like Cameron Simon here as the underdog. Um, and if Christian Rodriguez is not 100%, I, I think this could be a situation where he ends up picking a victory up. So 7,800, I like the fight in general. I, I do like the fight in general. I'll be siding with the 7,800 Simon. Yeah, I know you, you, we, we get this question a lot about when a fighter misses weight, and, and there's no real answer, I mean, but that is one thing that sometimes it may be a situation, I mean, four pounds, you, you kind of sit there and say, man, it makes you maybe wonder, maybe there was some type of injury that maybe you couldn't get the road work in, in in the past, you know, say, you know, week, week and a half to, to get the weight down, or, you know, maybe, maybe it just got to the point where they just, no more weight was coming off, and a decision right. was made early this morning or late last night of going, you know what? We're just not going to do it. We'll, we'll see if they take the fight. And I mean, look, and, and the reality is, for the most part, every UFC fighter is going to take that fight. Now, I mean, look, Stephen Thompson's a different situation, and I get why he does that because of the position he's in. But when you're talking about these type of fight night cards, the reality is, unless a doctor pulls it, yeah. <laughs> um, every it's every right. fighter's going to step up. I mean, that's just that's true. By by the way, I mentioned um, on the Michelle Pahea fight, I do like the more than eleven and a half fight time minutes. I do think that's a probably a fifteen minute fight that's going to go between them. Next up, we got T.J. Brown taking on Darren Elkins. T.J. Brown is a minus one eighty betting fair, plus one fifty five for Elkins. Elkins is seventy four hundred DK, twelve dollars on Fanduel, and Brown is eighty hundred on DK and eighteen dollars on Fanduel. And Pete, this is one of those things where I kind of look at this and say if. TJ Brown doesn't get Elkins out of there within, say, eight and a half minutes. I think Darren Elkins becomes a very live underdog. It may be a great bet, live betting situation tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I don't think that he can get him out of there. I mean, I, I think that Darren Elkins is pretty damn tough to get out of there, right? Like, we, we know what Darren Elkins does. I mean, he was finished against Ricardo Lamas back in 2018, finished against Cub Swanson back in 2021, but, like, you know, Chad Mendez in 2013, Charles Oliveira in 2010. Like, dude, I, I don't think that TJ Brown has the same stopping power as some of these guys I just mentioned. Um, you know, maybe some similarities to, to Ricardo Lamas, and that was in the third round, 14 minutes and nine seconds. Uh, but that was a KOTKO loss. So, like, here's my issue. TJ Brown ruins fights for himself. He's very, very good. He really is. Offensively, he's got good hands. He's got good pace. He's got good wrestling, strong grappling. But I think that sometimes he overexerts himself. So like that pace is a double-edged sword. And against a guy who's such a motor in Darren Elkins, this sound this kind of looks like a, you know, buyer beware situation with TJ Brown. Know what you're getting yourself into. I know that Darren Elkins is very, very old for the division. Um, he's taken a ton of damage within the career, given his nickname. 
and scored 36 against Jonathan Pierce, who absolutely mollywhopped him in his previous fight. Um, but if you still look at it, like Jonathan Pierce is a stud, and Darren Elkins landed two of five takedowns. Previous to that, against Tristan Connolly, he went five of ten. I don't think that Darren Elkins makes you feel comfortable anytime that you bet him or put him in your lineup because of like the the uh, he doesn't pass the eye test. Like when you're watching yeah. him, it's ugly um, and it's kind of like, oh my god, he looks he looks like he's gonna get finished or he looks like you know he's struggling really. But he's just he doesn't quit, and I like that. Whereas T.J. Brown, I look it kind of looks like he breaks at times. Um, so I'm interested. I think that Elkins will be elevated in my underdog pool, um, 17 and 10 in the UFC, whereas TJ Brown is three and four in the UFC. I think from experience alone, you got to give Darren Elkins his respect. I don't care of how old he is. You have to give him his respect. I was actually thinking that he was going to be like 7,600. So slight value for Darren Elkins here against the guy who kind of ruins fights for himself, despite looking great early on. Um, he's beatable. He is definitely beatable, and I, I side. So I'm going to still pick TJ Brown because I think he's going to win two rounds. But that third round, man, I can see Darren Elkins coming on mm. real quick and just putting it on TJ Brown. It's, does he break? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so Elkins needs to be elevated in your underdog pool. Still picking TJ Brown, but it doesn't feel good. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, uh, and – it's kind of one of these fights I look at and say you've got you know the, the the veteran the guy that's been around for such a long time and you know TJ Brown you know what TJ's probably been in the UFC what three years now two three years mm-hmm. at this point you know you, you do wonder is TJ Brown even though if his ownership was you know targeted to be a little lower than what it's currently projected at I might try to get a little bit more of him but I mean look if this thing hits the third round you're gonna be nervous and if you look at the prize yeah. picks prize. Bryce Picks thinks this thing is, is hitting the third round because they've got the fight time at 12.5, takedowns at 2. Uh, they do have T.J. Brown at 91.5 fantasy score. That If I was maybe going to attack anything on this fight, it might be the fantasy score. I might be looking to go more. I think he could potentially uh, rack up a ton of points over there on Prize Picks. Next up, uh, we got Lisboa taking on Oliveira. Lisboa is a minus 330 betting fair, plus 260 for Oliveira. Lisboa is 9,400 on DK, 20 on FanDuel. And for Oliveira, she's 6,800 on DK, 9. Nine dollars on Fanduel, and uh, you know this is actually one of the the matchups that uh, you know in terms of the nine K fighters that I'm really targeting this week. The the level of UFC fights that we currently have to break down is very frustrating. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, man! Like years ago, I didn't have to sit here and rack my brain of what the hell is going to happen between you know a C, you know a C minus versus a C fighter. Like it's just every week there's three or four littered throughout the card and we're doing fights. Half the time Dana White's contender series fights has better fights than what we're breaking down on UFC cards. Um, what am I going to say here, dude? I, Tainara Lisboa, very, very solid Muay Thai practitioner. I hate the price tag associated with her at 9,400. Um, I do think that she was, in a very difficult debut against Jessica Rose Clark, but she was able to, you know, show that she can land strikes. She can get takedowns. She can defend takedowns and that she's going to look for a finish standing up, but also on the mat where she was able to pick up a, a third round submission victory. Um, and I like that. And I, I do like the fact that she's, you know, a little bit well, more well-rounded than what her record shows. 
um, and Ravena Oliveira, low, low level, low level competition, um, but aggressive. And sometimes aggression wins out. So I think that Ravena Oliveira is going to come out there really hot, try to uh, hurt Tainara Lisboa. And because of Oliveira's inexperience within the big show, I think it's going to be Tainara takes over late or Tainara has to uh, weather the storm and then maybe breaks her at the end of the round one. It's just 9,400, some, somewhat restrictive, but the low-level opponent makes it for – she's getting a first or second round finish. I'd be very, very surprised if she doesn't. And if she doesn't, I just – I don't have much hope for Tainara Lisboa going forward. Um, I'm not in love with her striking despite being a Muay Thai champ. Uh, I think it's okay. Um, but there's moments where I think that you know her opponent can land shots just because she's a little too patient. Um She's measured, but I think that Ravena is going to land some shots, get to respect the Tainara, and Tainara is going to say, you know what, I'm, we're going to grapple. And this could be a sneaky takedown, uh, city potential, couple takedowns en route to a submission finish for Tainara Lisboa. But I like the price. I don't like the price tag. I like the the Tainara Lisboa to win the fight. Um, I, I'm slightly getting contrarian in, in some of my builds with a fight I will get to uh, who I think – Kinda is going lost in the shuffle. We'll see if you agree with me, but Lisboa inside the distance, ninety four hundred. And then, of course, uh, you know, in terms of overall prize picks, nothing. You know, I, I would probably, if I was going to do anything, I'd probably look at going less than ten and a half fight time minutes on Lisboa. Like you, I, I do think she's going to get a stoppage victory in the first or second round. Next up, we got Terrence McKinney. Of course, uh, gets a short uh, price opponent here, and that being Brandon Marat. Brandon Marat is a plus four hundred betting underdog, minus five fifty for Terrence McKinney. McKinney ninety five hundred on DK, twenty three dollars on Fanduel. Marat. Six seven hundred on DK, eight dollars on FanDuel. Of course, so uh, you're familiar with Brendan Rott being up in that New England scene. Uh, guy that's been around here, and uh, I mean, look, we, I mean, I, I just feel like we could just go find a you know an older show with a Terrence McKinney fight, and we could probably just give the same analysis of live for a quick finish in the first round. But man, if this thing hits the five oh one mark, you're concerned for your Terrence McKinney backer. Yeah, so so let me tell you a cool story about Brendan Marat. Where well, I've known Brendan for years. Years and years and years, I know Brennan because um, when I actually went out to uh, to Cowboys Ranch the second time to to go out and train, I went with my buddy Nate Andrews, and we ended up getting there late. So we got there really late. Everybody was already asleep. Um, I think we were whether we were locked out of the house or something, but uh, Cowboy had a big school bus that he converted into like a you know, a commuter to back and forth to, to training for all the people that were staying there. But also at night, if, if a lot of people stayed over, that was where people slept too. So I remember getting in really late at night, had to be like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, I met Brendan there at one o'clock in the morning. And we, uh, you know, we all had to sleep in the bus, in the school bus. So uh, we, we trained out in New Mexico for several weeks with each other. Um, He's fought on my dad's card. Um, he's a he's he was young when when I was training with him, um, but clearly he's he's gone on to improve and get better. He's very very dangerous. He has good power in his punches. He's live to knock out Terrence McKinney. I'm telling you right now, he's live to knock out Terrence McKinney just because of the fact that McKinney overexerts himself and. Uh, even if he takes Brendan Marat down, which is clearly the way to 
to get a you know get a victory over for McKinney is just take him down and look to submit him um, as other amateur fighters have done and and like Ali Edwards who was able to control Brendan Marat by doing so you know look to get him on the mat and kind of negate the danger um, even off of his back Marat's going to be throwing everything he's going to be trying to damage Terrence McKinney at all you know every moment of the fight so it makes me circle Brendan Marat from a personal standpoint, cause just because I'm rooting for him, I want him to win. I think it's from a a matchup perspective. It is a winnable fight. You just have to survive <clears throat> round one. Um, but with all that being said, I do think that Terrence McKinney has significant wrestling upside, grappling upside, and uh, I just hate five-to-one favorites. I really do. But at the end of the day, he's been preparing for this bout. Brennan's been staying active, looking for other opportunities uh, coming off of you know, recent fights as well. But clearly that's what McKinney needs to do is look for takedowns early and often. Um, and Brennan needs to just either get lucky landing the shot or, or take advantage of a very tired uh, Terrence McKinney. But this is a fight I think you're going to need for a lot of your lineups. And, you know, the ownership makes sense. If I, you know, got to put the, you know, just got to be honest about it here. The one, you know, my big knock on Brim Marat is the strength of competition. I mean, it, it just, I mean, his last fight against Lionel Young, go look at Lionel Young's record. Pretty much, it seems like everyone in the Northeast has been the guy they, they he is, he's competed against. I mean, you, I you, they're, they're, like Lionel. <laughs> <laughs> I Lionel years ago. Yeah, I mean, I just it, Lionel is eleven and twenty one currently. Just kind of give you some of his uh, recent loss, noble recent losses. Jay Parent. Now that was Jay's first fight after his UFC exes. Uh, Joe uh, Penafili, who's a, a guy that's been on the regional scene for now a little bit of time. Uh, he's fought Rob Font, Peter Barrett. Sean Soriano. I mean, go down the list of names here. I mean, I mean, if I would go put any knock on, on Bremrod heading into this one, it would be that that strength of competition on the regional scene just has not been there. Uh, he did have a, a cancel fight against Carvalho that was supposed to happen earlier this year. That was uh, a, a fighter with a winning record. But if I'm going to put any a knock there, and I mean, this I'll, I'll say this: we're on prize picks. So significant strikes is eighteen and a half for McKinney. Fight time three and a half. It's kind of and crazy. I, I mean, the fantasy scores one twenty one and a half. That is that is the one I was doing the math today. I was like, okay, if he gets a first round finish, that's a hundred points. He gets a knockdown, twelve. So I need ten more points to go more. Could he land enough strikes to get over that number? I feel like if you're playing more than one hundred twenty one half fantasy score on Terrence McKinney, you're going to be sweating that one out. Yeah, I mean, so. Obviously, I'm rooting for Brendan. Like, I, of course I am. Um, he's a good kid. He really is. Uh, he can't wrestle with Terrence McKinney. He just can't. McKinney's very, very dangerous. But he can f- he can fight with McKinney all day long, and I feel like McKinney can break to the way that Brendan fights. Truthfully, I, I'm, I'm just saying. So I, I think that one way or another is going to be a massive score attached to this. Um, so yeah, I mean, treated accordingly. It's, it's, how is it any different than any McKinney fight? It, it's not, it, it's, it, repeat, yeah. I don't, I don't trust McKinney at all. So, and especially when he's going up against the guy who's dangerous. So, uh, the Dion Rubio win for Brendan Marat was very, 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 very impressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, the kid's capable. He definitely is capable. I mean, look, Terrence McKinney, no matter what, I don't care who's standing across the gate from him. He's a boom bust play every week. He's like a heavyweight fighter. He's boom yeah, bust every week. 
Well, it's it kind of reminds me. It's a completely different style, but reminds me of comma worthy. Yeah. Like you yeah. know what you're gonna get. Like volatility, crazy exciting fighter. But a guy like me, like that's a that's a guy like I want to fight because you know he's gonna give you an opening to win. Yeah. You know, like he's gonna screw himself a lot of the times, and uh, it's gonna be an interesting fight. I, I don't think it touches the third round. Then we got a female matchup up next, which is Dixon taking on Irina Dixon. She's a minus one fifty betting favorite, plus one twenty five for Irina. Irina seventy six hundred DK, fifteen dollars on Fanduel. Dixon eighty six hundred on DK, sixteen dollars on Fanduel. And Pete, uh, is this kind of like your your thought earlier this week, uh, earlier in the show, where you're like, man, a couple years ago I wasn't breaking down this kind of fight. I mean, look at there's four of them on this card. <laughs> I mean, I hate to sound like a hater, but I mean, it is what it is. It's made. MMA DFS very frustrating. Never mind the the late notice scratches that have become, you know, frequent occurrences and crazy just outcomes. It's been ugly lately. So it's trying to stay, you know, stay with it and push through. Um, Arena Alexeva is a fighter that we were very very low on, um, and I think the market was as well. Um, she went out and she showed out against Stephanie Egger. It was very weird how she did well in that matchup. Uh, she was aggressive made Stephanie Egger uncomfortable. And anytime you have something, that's why I say aggression wins out sometimes. If somebody is pressuring you and you're not accustomed to that in your gym, and that could be like fighting in the small cage and in your gym, you're used to fighting in a big open mat space. When people pressure you, you just continually, you know, continuously back up. And you don't have to feel that pressure of being somewhat claustrophobic of, oh, my God, the cage is right there. So if you're not experienced in a small cage, it can break you with their pressure. And that's kind of what Arena Alexeva did to Stephanie Egger, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. We have a very, very low-level fight here uh, where Arena, despite all her uh, combat sambo, you know, accolades. She's sloppy, very, very sloppy. She throws combinations. I see tons of openings. Um, she is a fighter who will chase finishes and put herself in bad position to go for finishes. So when I see that, it reminds me of a lot of my amateur fighters that are under my wing where I'm constantly screaming at them about position over submission and also just learning how to be patient. Um, when you see an opportunity, you have to weigh the you know the percentage, right? Like you're going off of low low percent te- techniques. Like why? Why would you take yourself out of an advantageous you know position to do so? That's kind of what I see Arena Alexeva doing in some some situations. You got leg lock divers where people are diving for leg locks. Mateus Mendonca last week just playing footsies with with uh, you know the guy I absolutely can't stay, stand in Nate Manis and just eating <laughs> shot after shot. So like you have Arena Alexeva, who's an opportunistic grappler, I think could actually work against her in this matchup against Melissa Dixon. And here's my thought process. Mel- Melissa Dixon's the, the unknown fighter, one of the unknown fighters a part of this card. A lot of people don't want to go after her. She's in the price range where it's like, man, that's kind of expensive for a debuting mm-hmm. fighter. Um, Dixon throws very, very good combinations on the feet. Uh, brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, she's been working on her grappling a lot. Despite the accolades of Arena Alexiva, 
I actually think that Dixon might win this. And I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive than the field just because of the unknown commodity that, that she has. Um, you got Arena Alexeva just beat a notable name in Stephanie Egger, but we've seen Egger quit several times now. Um, so I, I kind of have like an asterisk, a part of that. Um, so yeah, give me the unknown Melissa Dixon to land solid combinations on the feet um, and actually surprise some people in the grappling. And I think it's Arena's mistakes is what's going to make Melissa Dixon win this fight. Yeah, it's uh, one of those ones. That the fancy score of 78.5 is on Dixon is one that does uh, stick out to me. Maybe if I'm looking to get uh, a five, six-player car over there on prize picks. Uh, by the way, I was just uh, kind of going down down the uh, the X timeline. So I always remember to say it's X, not you know Twitter. Uh, and I uh, saw an interesting one that uh, Israel Adesanya is going to take some time away. He is uh, prob- probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. I think it's a good idea because he hasn't looked the same. Um, and, uh, probably, and probably also explains why that, uh, apparently the winner of Hamzat Chemaev and Kamaru Usman will get the next title shot at 185 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree with that. And how about my boy Hamzat Chemaev? I can't wait for that fight. Dude, he's, he's approaching a three to one betting favorite in that one. And I, I, I don't like the matchup for Kamara Usman. I don't, we'll get into this next week. I don't like the matchup for Usman. I really don't. Oh, but, is that next week, Jason? Yeah, that's next week. It's oh uh, an after, afternoon. Volk too? Yeah, yeah, you have Volk and, and Machev. So that's a, an afternoon pay-per-view. Um, so that's a two, two o'clock Eastern is uh, next week. Oh shoot. I worked the night before, but okay. So, I'm all right with that. So I want to say prelims start like, I want to say 10 AM. Cause I, I got the schedule oh, for the, I, I got the schedule for the bar, uh, yesterday. I want to say it was, it was 10 AM was the early prelims. I got to work. Goodness gracious. Yeah. It's a, it's a, for us in the bar business, it's actually not your traditional UFC pay-per-view. We get it a part of ESPN plus for business. I would imagine. So just kind of touching this real quick as a bar got somebody in the bar business do you think that there is there anybody that shows up for daytime mma like say uh, say it's, a it's new, hard it's, it's a hard car. it's hard it's easier this time of the year because of all the college yep. football going on at least here here in florida i mean i i know you know traveling this this country for you know for nfl football i know like if i go to connecticut Going out to watch a college football game is not like going out in Tampa to watch a college football game where the bar is packed. Um, you know, it's yeah, there ain't nobody in North Northern. It's 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 fascinating to me. It's it's very fascinating to me. Like you, you go up to a you know a northern state and you like know, you go out like you know um, so like so I go to Buffalo a couple weeks, but I'll be on a, we play that's a Thursday game. But if like that was a Sunday game, like we would probably go to a bar. On Saturday night, and it would be nothing like watching college football in Tampa on a Saturday night. Right. Yeah, no, it's not existing around here. I, I think that maybe people like hockey a little bit more than college football up around yeah. this area. But Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's – I was always concerned about how – like a business, like if – if it does anything for business. Um, it, it's, it, it's a tough it, – you know, because it – I mean, look, they are, they're – 
they're not cheap for a bar to get. Let, let, me, let me just say that. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, we're not paying $80 for that pay-per-view. We're paying yeah, much no, more no. than that because it's, it's based on your, on your seating capacity. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's afternoon pay-per-view. And, uh, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, we got two more matchups here to talk about. We got Chris Gutierrez, who is a minus 290 betting favorite. He's 9000 on DK, $19 over there on FanDuel. Take on Alatang Ali, who is a plus 235 betting underdog, $7,200 on DK, $11 on FanDuel. You know, you were talking about the, the kickers of Jonathan Martinez. Well, this is his main training partner in, in yeah. Chris Gutierrez, and we know that's what Chris does. Yeah, I was mainly thinking like, you know, Jonathan Martinez, you know, training with Chris Gutierrez is awesome. And it's probably what's elevated this game so much. Um, they kind of both helped each other. Um, you know, Chris Gutierrez is very, very good in the outside, uh, has good footwork, and his footwork is something that, really results in a lot of his victories because he dances around, he faints, he moves, he goes one way, he, he goes the other. Um, he chops at your calves better than anybody. Um, the one thing I don't like about his defense is that he kind of leans back with his chin a lot at times. And, you know, if somebody's able to finally get into the pocket, they're able to knock you on your butt. And we did see that happen in his previous bout against Pedro Munoz, who was able to, you know, plant him down on the mat. And Pedro, after that, you know, got the respect of Chris Gutierrez. And even though Gutierrez was still on the outside moving around, you know, Munoz was a tough matchup for him because Munoz is pretty good at checking low kicks um, and he pressures you. So, like, he, Chris Gutierrez's number one go-to was a little bit more ineffective than normal. And then once he got knocked down, I don't think that he was the same. Now, a guy in uh, Haley Alatang, I think is, I think is a tough matchup for Haley because of the kicks – the volume of Gutierrez, who who nearly doubles the output of Alatang Haley. I think the path to victory for Alatang is mixing in the wrestling. Because we've seen Chris Gutierrez when he's put on his back or you know when he's taken down, he can be controlled. Uh, everybody's been able to land takedowns against him. You had uh, Dana Bakari, Felipe Corrales, rest in peace, uh, Andre Ewell, Cody Durden. The Durden fight is what really you know makes me remember that. It was a ton of control time in that matchup and – Cody Durden had six minutes of control time, so able to take the back. Durden's a fantastic wrestler, whereas Alatang Haley, not so much. I'm just saying he can mix in close rounds by doing so. I think Gutierrez is going to be on the outside, chopping away, dances, dancing his way to a uh, unanimous decision victory over Alatang Haley. Yeah, I mean, I like Chris Gutierrez in this matchup as well, and just kind of like you, probably decision, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things of, I was actually, this is one of those fights that, a, I mean, it's it's not getting a ton of overall ownership, but I was actually surprised how much ownership Chris Gutierrez was getting. Yeah, I, even uh, though I I do like him to win this matchup, but I just we always talk about that fancy score upside. That's where it's kind of my concern is with Chris Gutierrez in terms of this one. Then of course our opening matchup, we got Emily Dakota taking on Ashley Yoder. Ashley Yoder is a plus three ten betting underdog minus four hundred for Dakota. Dakota nine three hundred DK nineteen dollars on Fanduel. Yoder sixty nine hundred DK. $9 on Fando. And Pete, I, th- I think the way to to look at this one is, I mean, look, I'd really like Emily Dakota to go out there and win this matchup is, can you make a case for Ashley Yoder? I mean, her grappling is always live. You know, she she's able to, to win rounds by getting takedowns. Um, I, I do think that Emily Dakota is well-rounded, though. So, like, when you look at Emily Dakota versus Ashley Yoder, like, Yoder's best grappling upside goes against one-dimensional opponents. I mean, like taking Angela Hill down twice, um, Miranda Granger two times. Um, 
outside of that, it's just like split decision, random Marcos two times. The the strength of – she's fought a lot of names, but I don't know. I I don't think that they're of high caliber. I think that Emily Dakota here is one of my favorite fights from a – fighters from a contrarian standpoint. And the reason I say that is because I know that she can go out there and throw volume like crazy. Um, I I really like Emily Dakota here. Like to kind of go back, look at Jennifer Maya against Casey O'Neill. She was seventy seven hundred. She threw three hundred and forty nine significant strikes. Had a minute of control time. Had zero takedowns. Landed one hundred and forty five and scored ninety one fantasy points. Ninety one. Emily Dakota in a previous matchup threw two hundred and seventy. So almost the same type of volume. Landed one twelve. Uh, had zero takedowns and only 11 seconds of control time against Lupi Godinez, who is a much better striker than Ashley Yoder. I think that there's 90-plus point upside here all day long for Emily Ducote. And given that price tag of 9300 we need 100-plus. We need probably 110. I think from a sneaky perspective, I'm going to be much more aggressive on Emily Ducote to uh, possibly pick up a knockdown possibly pick up some takedowns because even though Ashley Yoder is going to be incorporating some takedowns, I think she can get reversed. I think she can get taken down. She was subbed and finished as an amateur, which is a very long time ago. Um, and she is eight and eight. Emily Dakota's high volume could actually make her the sneakiest 9,000 option out there because on a box score watchers, see Jessica Penne, 76, Angela Hill, 29, Lupe Godinez, 46. And they think just like Jamar Chase last weekend, you know, you're just not going to play him. And then all of a sudden, going to have a 50-point-plus performance. And perhaps this is the week that Emily Ducote goes out there and picks up a pretty, pretty high-scoring win. Um, I'm going to take my chances uh, just because I, I'm not in love with a lot of the 9,000 options out there to begin with. So, uh, yeah, give, give me Emily Ducote to absolutely demolish Ashley Yoder in a contrarian, I'm-going-to-stand-by-her type of situation. One of my favorite plays on prize picks is more than 88 and a half fantasy score on Emily Dakota. Yeah. See? Okay. I'm glad that you think so, too. Because <laughs> right, right when you said it, right when you said that, I go, ooh, we are on the same path. I just, when I when I was putting together my, my Excel spreadsheet and, and I put in the prize picks information and, and I saw it was 88 and a half, I was like, oh, Ike, that's probably a core play for me on prize picks tomorrow. Like, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things that you uh, is a great thing to do on prize picks is, you know, maybe you only like one or two on MMA, but then you can pair them up with, say, something on college football, maybe something, um, you know, NHL is obviously, you know, back in full swing. You got the NFL on Sunday. So it is a great way, if, maybe if you like one or two, and that's also a great way if you do want to get those five and six player cards, that's a great way to do it. So correct me if I'm wrong, the two – Prize picks plays that I heard from you that I love were Jennifer Maya significant strikes over 80 and a half and Emily Dakota more than 88 and a half fantasy score. Those are two of them, yes. I love those. Those are my two favorite ones that you mentioned. Yeah, I, and it, I, I'm yeah. probably gonna make a make a make a little trip 
and I love that. <laughs> uh, the, the other two that I really do like over on Prize Picks is the more than 11.5 fight time minutes on Jonathan Martinez and the more than 11.5 fight time minutes on Michelle Pajaya, as I think those are probably both likely. But, you know, I think, you know, yeah, the other two, I think you do you, you like a little bit more there. Let's get into yeah. our straight-up fight picks, and we'll answer some listener questions. The main event, I'll go Sadiq Youssef. Yeah, Sadiq for me. I'll go with Jennifer Maya. Maya, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to go Yanez. Yeah, I'll go Adrian Yanez as well. Uh, I'll go underdog number one in uh, Andre Petrovsky. All right. I respect it. I'm going to go Michelle Pajaya. I will go underdog number two, Cameron Simon. Cameron Simon for me. Uh, I'll go TJ Brown. TJ Brown, I guess. Uh, Lisboa. Lisboa. McKinney. I'm rooting for Brendan. I just don't think he can stop the wrestling. So yeah. I'll say for straight up picks, McKinney. Uh, Dixon. Yep, Dixon for me. Gutierrez. Gutierrez. And Dakota. Dakota for me as well. Uh, let's get some of the questions uh, in from Discord. Uh, up first, it says best punt play. Love the show, by the way. Best UFC content out there, hands down. Uh, appreciate that, North Fork. I really do appreciate that. Uh, best punt play. I think you got to look at it. it's to me Darren Elkins or I mean, I mean look. It's a boom bust fight both ways, but how do you not look at someone like a Bram Marat because of if, he, if that thing gets yep. a second round? Yep, I agree with you. the 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 word punt makes you say anything less than seven thousand. So, like, I I think in that category, it's got to be Marat given the volatility of McKinney. Yeah, I'm with you on there. Uh, value plays under 8K on DraftKings and also uh, asking about FanDuel cheapies. Uh, under 8K, I mean, obviously, I think you got to look at Edson Barboza uh, at 7,500 is someone that, that sticks out to me. Uh, Petrovsky at 7,600 is another one that uh, I, I, I like him to win the fight there as well. FanDuel cheapies over there. Um, I mean, Petrovsky at $13. I mean, that's to me, that, that's got yeah. great value there. Uh, Cameron at $14, I think, is another uh, good value play over there on FanDuel. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that for the, the values under eight, it's got to be Simon, Petrovsky, Women's MMA, so Alex Seva, Barboza, and Elkins. Yeah, uh, best takedown upside uh, to me. Andre Petrovsky's got to be up there, and I mean, maybe. Yep. And you, you've mentioned this point now a couple of times. Maybe you got to look at Terrence McKinney. I mean, it, I mean, you may not get, you may only get one takedown, but you know, it may, maybe this is that fight where we do try to see him utilize that. Yeah. So the the reason I say that with Brendan is clearly because Brendan is dangerous on the feet, very dangerous on the feet, and we've seen it time and time again. So like McKinney, who doesn't have a brain in half of his fights. But if he had a brain in this one, you'd look to wrestle him as you did Farazim. Farazim's a stud, very good striker. And he went out there and picked up a first-round finish by incorporating his wrestling and getting a submission finish. Um, that's what he needs to do because anything else, it's kind of just like flipping a coin. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, rank the 9K options. So uh, now we only have four 9K options. Lisboa, McKinney, Gutierrez, Ducote. Um, 
I would I would still put McKinney number one just because of the fantasy yep. score upside. Uh, two, I would go to Cody. Three, Lisboa. Four, Gutierrez. Yeah, I would. I would go this. Yeah, the same for me. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I know there was a couple other questions. Uh, let's see here. Uh, thoughts on locking Cameron in a twenty max. In a twenty max, it's good to be aggressive like that. Um, I just don't know if Cameron's the guy to to lock. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think locking a fighter in twenty max is a very aggressive way to to set yourself up for success. Um, but perhaps the the reasoning behind locking Simon would be the weight miss and the volume of Christian Rodriguez. So, not this, not something I'd recommend. Um, I I think it's interesting. It's he's an underdog and Christian Rodriguez is skilled. So maybe he just didn't want to cut the weight. <laughs> and then yeah. that's something we just don't know. Uh, Andrew asking about if we're going to have a stack in the optimal. I, I mean, I'm looking at these fights and I'm going, where would it come from? Main event, but I don't think that goes 25 minutes. I'll, I'll yeah, I don't, if I was going to label potentially one three round fight, do you look at TJ Brown, Darren Elkins saying TJ Brown gets up big yep. in the first and second round, racks up a ton of points, and then Darren Elkins comes back in the third round, maybe gets a third round finish? I mean, if I was, I personally would not be uh, stacking anything this week, but if I was going to present a case for a three round fight, that might be the one I would look at. Yeah, I mean, in a three round fight, you still need the guy who's the favorite to to win the fight. Uh, you need the, the I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter, but it does to a point. You need the losing fighter to have a yeah. hell of a fight and just get screwed on the, on the judge's scorecard. Um, I actually think that's if you had to pick a fight on the card, not the main event, that would be the one to stack. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of that. Um, that's kind of all the questions that we've got that have come in. Of course, we always we appreciate everyone who tunes into the show. If you're, you're watching us after the fact and you do have a question, a comment, you can leave that right there in the YouTube chat. You can also always hit up myself or Pete over on X. Of course, I'm at Jason underscore Floyd. Pete is at Pete the Heap. MMA as uh, you know, I know I, I see these videos over on Instagram. I, I see my guy Pete over there, you know, I, I see you getting that work in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Of course. So every day, every day, just trying, I'm trying to figure out, like, I gotta, I don't know, man, I got, I just got to figure out what, what I'm doing as far as weight. So <laughs> you, I'm a tweener right now. That's the problem. I'm a tweener. I'm, I'm, I'm between 55 and 170 as far as competition weight because these welterweights are humongous. Mm-hmm. And getting to lightweight is going to be a. Bro, there's some lightweights that are, huge, that are huge guys. Huh? There's some lightweights out there that I, I think people would be yeah. surprised how, how much they walk around at. I'd be a massive lightweight as I was a massive featherweight. Um, but, you know, you got the short, stocky guys like Chandler who walks around at 190 pounds. Yep. I, I know another fighter walks around 190 pounds. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm very aware of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah you you might know another one. You might know another one. Talk to <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, we're not getting dad bod over here, are we? No. I mean, listen, I think it's just I don't know what the hell's going on. My bones are different now, I guess. I don't know what the hell is going on. Getting older. <laughs> that, weight don't, that weight don't come off as easy as it did when you were in your 20s. Nah, bro, it don't. It does not. It's crazy. Yeah, and but I of course. I used to be able to eat everything, too. 
Yeah, yeah, man. I, I will tell you, as I, I kind of, uh, you know, took soda out and uh, drinking more water, things along those lines, I don't eat as much as I used to. Mm. Yeah, because they say, uh, you know, most of the time when people think they're hungry, they're actually uh, dehydrated. Yeah, there's one um, I, I forget what the, the uh, ingredient is in soda, but it, it's basically it's telling your, your brain you're you're still um, you're still hungry. As opposed mm. to, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I, I don't eat as much. I, I did just get an air fryer, so I'm going to be testing that bad boy out. Uh, had, some chick, had some chicken wings in it the other night. They, they came out really good. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's 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 one of the new toys <laughs> that I got. I, dude, I, I, look, I need to hit, hit some tournaments this weekend. I just spent $4,000 in the Apple Store. So, uh, yeah, I, I need to take down some tournaments. Damn. Damn. Yeah, new, new, new computer, new new phone. Yeah, yeah, 4000 out the door. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, man. I need to hit a tournament. It's I need to hit an MMA tournament. I, I need it. The fam needs it. We all need it. It's we're due. Um, but these cards, like the Kudulabo thing last week, like okay, okay. we got two minutes, but let's just talk. Right. Could the UFC do anything to kind of not like what? What's the point of freaking waiting? And then you know the the show starts, the lineups lock, and all this and that, and like. You're just waiting for your broadcast to now break the news. Is that is that just like a they want to break the news? They don't want anybody else. I mean, it, it did leak from what's his name, um, Martin, a little it, bit, but like, I think there's various things in that. I mean, that could also be one of those things where you got a medical issue where they're like, you know what, let's give this guy some some additional time. You know, maybe they're going to feel better. They'll say they want to fight. I mean, um, I mean, look, obviously the UFC, they do want to break the news. I mean, just a, a, an example of this is what happened on Tuesday night. They did not want that to leak out because, A, they yeah. had not called Islam yet because he was in Abu Dhabi. They were waiting for him to wake up. So they could call him, and, and they knew he was going to say yes, but they didn't want him finding out on social media, you know. Mm. And, and so that that's kind of the things out there. But it can be various aspects. I mean, uh, of what's going on, but there definitely is part of it is yeah, the UFC definitely wants to. I mean, obviously, as DFS players, we just wish like, hey, just, just put it on your Twitter account, you you know, and, and say, hey, you know, Leans versus Kutalaba is out. I mean, it's. I mean, obviously, DraftKings tried the whole late swap, and we saw how how horrible that went for them. Um, well, yeah, because they had the timing of all the which fight was going to go out there, and the, the the times were inaccurate because you know it's very difficult to predict how fights are going to end yeah. and what time they're going to start. You know, yeah, I mean, I, to me, I, I think it's one of these things that if you're DraftKings, how could you implement a system for the MMA game to where, like, you know, you know, let's let's say lock is six p.m. Where you know, just throwing a time out there, and let's say it's six. 05, the UFC announces you know, Fighter X versus Fighter Y is off the card. And you know that the fights are not going to start for probably another 20 minutes or so. Mm. Give the chance, you know, push that lock back a little bit. And so you give the people who have those players in their lineups a chance to swap them out. Because, I mean, look, there was lineups I had that I was like, well, those lineups are dead. Yeah, that was all my lineups. It sucked. Um, it, you know, it, it 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 ruins the night of DFS play. 100%. And I don't think there's a solution. So I'm kind of just like shooting from the hip here. But like maybe there's like an emergency fighter to select a part of your, your – you get your six fighters. And then maybe kind of like for like fantasy football, we have IR spots and whatnot. Obviously, you can't use those. But perhaps you have an emergency fighter 
to put in. The only issue would be that there's salary allocated to everything. So I guess that emergency, yeah. or maybe you call it an emergency underdog or something like that. And then like that, at least you could swap to that. So it's kind of like a best ball situation. Um, I don't know the answer, man. I, I really don't. And I don't think DraftKings knows the answer to the question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, it almost seems to me, and I mean, I'm, this is just the way I view it. I think they just put their hands up there and just go, there's nothing we can really do. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think to me, one of my criticisms of late swaps is I think it was it was a move that was not beneficial to the um, the casual DFS player. Yeah. When you're talking about playing in big tournaments where you're going up, you know, a percentage of the field is quote unquote professionals. And, yeah. you know, they they start playing the percentage game of who's not going to be rostered, you know, based on what they're seeing for. I mean, that that to me is um that was one of my downsides of, of late swap was I, I think it, it was beneficial to that pro player and not beneficial to the casual you know person that maybe he's only playing one lineup, mm. maybe, maybe as much as maybe maybe they have five lineups, you know? I mean, I, I, mean, I, w- I think it would be fascinating to know, like, what is the percentage of DraftKings and FanDuel player that only plays one lineup and, and maybe is only in one league, one, one contest or two contests. I, I got to think that's a decent number. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why the, the 150s, you know, you're at a disadvantage if you're putting yourself in those with one. I mean, that's a lottery I, ticket. It, it, look, and, and to me, when you do that, Pete, is that's where you go in there and, you know, you, you're taking chances, you know. Yeah. You and it doesn't mean you can't win. Some of my best wins are going in there and solo shipping. Just yeah. going in there and putting your lineup in there, and it's like, I did it. <laughs> that, honestly, that's why I do on captain contest. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm I'm the first one to tell you I'm not a great captain contest player, but yeah. you know I'll I'll go into the 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 big GPP they have for the captain contest. I mean, usually I think it's what like fifteen bucks, twenty bucks, whatever it is, and, and I'll sit there. I'll do one line, but like you know, but like to me, that's why I, I like playing cash games. I like playing single entries uh, to kind of get away from from those people that are you know playing you know the one fifty maxers. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I I've been that guy. So I ain't got no hate to the one fifty maxers. I, I look. I wish I, I, I wish I was better at it. I, um, I, look, I've done it too. The problem is, is like I, sp- you know, I'll spend half my Saturday trying to create that one fifty lineups, oh, and yeah. and and I don't know if if you're like me, and maybe some of our listeners are like this. When I, you know, if I'm playing one fifty max and I'm looking at that CSV, I overanalyze the crap out of it. Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's me all day long. I mean, and sometimes I just kind of sit there and say, Jason, put in your settings in Cruncher, do what you want, and just tell Cruncher to do his thing. And just trust the process. Yeah. It's the case. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for tuning in for another show. Sorry our schedules have been crazy between, you know, trying to hammer these shows out and in addition to everything else we got going on. But uh, we really appreciate the support. From Discord to our YouTube channel, if you guys could subscribe to the YouTube channel, share the videos if you can, help us get the word out, um, hit the like button. Let's try to get over 100 likes. And, uh, you know, the best is yet to come with the channel and for Jason and I. And would love to do more content in the future when, when our schedules kind of lighten up. And perhaps that's something that's going to happen in, in the future. Um, so, yeah. But thanks, guys. Let, let's win some money. And please post your screen uh, screenshots in the Discord. We want to see them. Yeah, post those winning bets. I don't know if you yeah. saw the crazy bet that someone uh, made. It was like 
They hit four first score TDs last week and for an insane amount of money. It was like a ten dollar yeah. bet. I, I yeah, like, unreal, unreal. Yeah, that's, I mean that's hitting the that's hitting the lottery, by the way. Exactly, and hell, I need to hit the lottery. So let's, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's I feel you. I feel you on that list. That's going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. As Pete said, we really appreciate you tuning in, and we're going to talk to you right here next week. We'll get you ready for UFC 294 on the Fight HQ Podcast.